Warning, this episode contains adult language, mature situations, psychoanalyzation of unique individuals, love at first sight, despair's true meaning, philosophical Dutch treaties, and thought-provoking stories. Listener discretion is advised. Greetings and welcome to a very special episode of the Spark and Mong Review, some podcasts and very reviews about connectly enhanced narratives. I'm your host, Zan, saying konnichiwa, aloha, bonjourno, and what's up? We're back for another thought-provoking episode. Beforehand, remember you can check out any of our earlier episodes at www.spyarkin.com. You can email us at spyarkin.gmail.com or me at zanspyarkin.com. We are on Facebook, Instagram, Twitter, Snapchat, and a few other social media sites. You can check all the information out in the show notes. Also, we will be appearing at some very cool cons. The next one I'm going to be attending is CPAC. And then after that, I'm going to Anime Fan Fest and then Anime Next. May go to some other ones. We'll see what happens. Now, if you've joined us for the first time, welcome. Like I said, Spark and some podcast fan reviews about Connect the Enhanced Narratives. Every episode, we talk about one to two manga, depending on the situation and how many hosts we have. And we tell you how the art style is, how the characters are, how the design is, and if the story is worth reading or not. Now, you don't have to agree with anything that we say or talk about, but I've heard we're a little bit entertaining. So, I hope you guys enjoy this episode, and if you want to hear any of the earlier ones, check out our archive at the website www.spyarkin.com. Now, I know it's been a while since I've released a Spyarkin Manga Review episode. It's primarily been Zan Chats and Spyarkin Movie Reviews. Things have been kind of crazy on my end. For those who don't know, I was involved in a car accident. I've been recuperating slowly. A lot of medical procedures and a lot of other little inconvenient situations going on. I am on the mend, though. I'm getting better. Things are looking up. And I have a new computer... So the sound quality is going to get a lot better soon. We're going to see how all this works out in the end and um, reinvigorate a little bit. Now on the opposite side of that though, the manga that I had to read today was a little bit more thought-provoking and I don't want to say negative, but it was a little bit melancholy. So if you're looking for a very fun, uplifting episode, this is not the one you're going to be looking for. I do apologize. But... 
let's get on with the actual review of what we're reviewing today. Throughout all 198 episodes before this, we've discussed different types of manga. Things like biographical manga, stories about kids who are wizards, stories about married life, stories about people in arranged marriages, story about wine, story about deranged cops, samurai, and various other topics which are engaging to the audience. And there have been three occasions, three specific episodes, where we've talked about stories which involve an actual piece of literature or a type of situation which involves despair or depression. Now, the stories I'm specifically talking about, if you haven't heard, is we've was in episode 193 where we talked about Flowers of Evil. That had a reference to the story Flowers of Evil, which was a very intriguing treatise on humanity's good and evil and existentialism. The next one was in episode 139, when we talked about No Longer Human, based on the biographical story of a person who constantly questioning if he was as good as he could be, or if he was just an evil person in general. It's a very disturbing look into someone's mindset. Those episodes are all thought-provoking. The final one was... Socrates in Love, or Seki no Chusende Aoi o Sekebu, Crying Out Love in the Center of the World, which is the story of a pair of lovers who are doomed to have a short life because of sickness and tragedy. All very amazing works of art, but more importantly than that, they're all stories which deal with depression, sadness, despair, and several negative emotions which affect the human psyche and the human mind. And the story we're talking about today is also one which deals with the human mind, but in a more specific way and in a very tragic way. This manga is actually more a tragedy than anything else. It is a story which at first seems like it could be uplifting, but it's not. And it does tug at the strings. It's contemplative. It makes you think. It has you absorb the entire story. And afterwards, you need a moment to just process it and talk to yourself about what happened there. What was it about? What does it mean? And you feel a little better about yourself, but also a little bit sadder about yourself. But before that, let me tell you a little bit of the technical information about this. Now, this manga was written by Hikaru Aseda and drawn by Tokohiro Seguchi all the way back in 2009. And this was released in Young Animal Magazine that's released by Hakusensha. It was licensed over here in 2013 by Vertical Comics. They used to be Vertical Link, now they're Vertical Comics. They've changed their brand. And the story is a romantic, tragical, psychoanalytical piece. It's obviously a senin, and it's one that I'm happy that Vertical picked up, because there are only two volumes, but I would have liked it to have been a single volume. It could have used that extra attention where it was just one set, and you could read it straight through, as opposed to leaving on a cliffhanger and then waiting to find out where the rest of the story goes. But the title, as I should get to it, is Shine Itaru Yamai, or The Sickness Unto Death. This is the story of Kazuma Futaba, a professor who bumps into one of his students by an old graveyard, and he proceeds to tell his student, whose name is Minami, about the person who the gravestone belongs to, which was the great love of his life, the person who's inspired him to do the best he could be. And it flashes back to the past when Kazuma was a young 18-year-old boy who moved to Tokyo to start a career of psychology and psychoanalyzation. He wanted to be a psychiatrist. 
and he decided to move to Tokyo to pursue this goal because it had the best schools possible. But he's not a very rich person, so his family made some connections and made a deal for him. He would live in the home of the Aragi family. Sorry, Araga family. He'd live there in this big house as a lodger, and in exchange for him staying there, he would have to take care of a member of the family who was ill. He would take care of this person in exchange for his boarding and living there. So the day before class starts, he is moving into his new home. He's walking towards it from the train station, and he sees a young woman on the ground having a panic attack or fit, and he goes to help her out. And from her perspective, she just sees darkness and gloom, and this person reaching out to her is a lifeline, is someone that just it opens up the heavens, and that shiny light appears. It's this person that is helping her through this dark moment, and she latches onto him. He introduces himself and says that he's been moving to a new home in the area. And she introduces herself as Imeru. And that she's a young lady who's just not feeling well. And she she doesn't go too far into her problems. But what Kazuma notices is one, her hair is completely white. It's not dyed white. It's just white for some strange reason. And she's frail, thin. And she goes off and he ends up going to his new home. And when he reaches the Araga family, he hits the buzzer, and the butler, Kuramoto, shows up, welcomes him to the home, shows him around, says this large mansion, you can go anywhere in here. The mistress just came home, and you'll be able to help her out. She's very frail. And as you can guess, Imiru is the mistress of the house. She is a young lady of 18 who she dropped out of school two years ago for some unusual reason. When she was a young girl, she lost both her parents at the age of four years old, and she's lived a life up until this point where she was upbeat and happy until two years ago when something occurred and she changed. You see pictures of her when she's younger, black hair, super cheery, reminds me slightly of Haruhi Susumiya with that energy and that will to live every day as if it is the greatest day of your life. And that's how she was, but now she is somber, quiet, has night terrors, And Kazuma, after taking care of her, checking her pulse and discovering that she is very unusual, her temperature is very low, her heartbeat isn't very low, her blood pressure is very low. It's almost like she's a corpse that is moving, but she's not dead, she is alive. And he takes care of her and decides, even though I'm a layman, I'm still studying to be a therapist, let me try to be her therapist and help her come to terms with whatever problems she has so she can better herself and better what she needs to do to get to where she needs to go to just become better become well again and he's doing this not just because it's a good idea that will help him further his career as to become a psychiatrist but he's doing it because he's falling in love with her he's met this girl she intrigues him she's entranced him she's attractive to him and he's also attractive to her and as he gets to know her more they end up falling in love and it's almost a florence nightingale situation where he wants to just make her better and do what's best for her. The only problem, though, is is that as we find out more about what happened to Imeru, he takes his time to just take the wrong path almost. What should be done and what shouldn't be done are very clear to him, but he's starting to follow the path of what shouldn't be done to make the situation more favorable to him, even though he shouldn't. And his professor, Yukari Otsuki, who's been helping him, like he'll bring problems to her that she's having night terrors or she has these symptoms and his professor explains what it could possibly be what is going on what he can do to help this person and knows that he's in this very 
peculiar situation and this tough situation because one thing that most psychiatrists have problems with is getting involved with their clients. Your job isn't to heal the client because unfortunately we can't do that. We have to lead the client to to find their realization to cure themselves. They have to find the way to wellness themselves. All the therapist and the counselor can do is lead them there and you're not supposed to become involved too deeply and Cosma is becoming too involved in this situation. He is becoming too engaged with Imiru, and he actually loves her. And as the twist does happen, he finds out the truth of what made her change so drastically two years ago. He tries to hold on to this situation the best he can, and it's like trying to hold on to sand in the ocean. It's going to just keep slipping through your fingers. The fact is that he loves Imiru. He's fallen so deeply and madly in love with her that he doesn't know what to do. He wants to cherish this person that has become so ingrained in his life that he loves with all his being. It's not just sex or passion. It's something deeper. It's the urge to protect and nurture and be with this person and validate her existence. And he doesn't want to lose that. And it may drive him to do things which he would regret in the long run, but he, his brain justifies it just right. And the reason why it gets even more intriguing is that halfway through the first volume, Yukari gives Kazuma a copy of Sickness Unto Death by Sorin Kierkegaard. He is a old Danish philosopher who wrote an actual novel. You can find the novel on PDF online. And it talks about Christianity and existentialism. And one of the things that Imiru talks about constantly is despair. How she's in gloom. She's There's nothingness around her. And Kierkegaard talks about despair. And here's a nutshell of it. So as long as the man is unable to become himself, he is not himself. And so long as he is unable to become his true self, his only choice is to fall into despair. Simply put, this is a dissociation of the self. It's loss of one's identity. It's the you don't know where you're going in life. And it's something which all humans face at one point or another. It's that feeling that you don't belong. You don't know where you're going. It's that sense that what's going to happen when you die. Because all of us are afraid of death. All of us are afraid of what happens at the end. I mean, yes, eventually become accustomed to it. But the big thing about it is people are afraid of either the loss of consciousness. Where you don't even, you don't think you don't appear anymore. You're just, there's nothing afterwards it's just poof, lights out no thoughts no dreams nothing and that's personally what terrifies me i'm phantophobic i don't want that end of nothings but another part of it is the fear that when you go poof the light goes out no one's gonna remember you it's not like all of us are christopher columbus's george washington's marco polo's uh, Emperor Nobunaga, Genghis Khan, Julius Caesar. We're not all like that. Some of us may leave our footprints in the sand for all to see. But most of our footprints kind of wash away. I know this is deep and depressing. I do regret talking about this, but it has to be talked about in order to discuss this story. But the point of that is that the one fear is that you're afraid of losing that identity of who remembers who you are. That's why we take time to cherish our memories of the people around us, how we remember them. That's how someone still exists for years on end. That's why when you think about your grandparents, your parents, your siblings, family that's lost. You hear stories about your great uncle Agnes or Angelo. Or these people you hear about, you hear stories about them. That keeps them alive. After reading this manga, I actually wanted to go to like a graveyard and walk around and look at all the different tombstones. Look at the names and think, what is their story? What was their deal? What made them the person they are? Because 
What was their identity? And that's the thing which this story talks about. It talks about the identity of a person and if they exist or not and what that means. Because identity is what makes a person a person. But is it identity because you associate that identity or what other people associate that identity onto you? I know this is a very heavy topic and the story is very heavy, especially because I'm not spoiling it. I don't want to spoil this because the whole premise of it is this relationship of Kazuma and Imiru and what happens. And if I reveal it, it cheapens the story. It cheapens what the book is about. It's one which is thought-provoking and it is amazing to read. The art style is interesting because if you look at it, it's got these amazing backgrounds and the character design is okay. They're intriguing, but there's no soul to them. There's no... They don't have their own identity. It's almost like this was intentional. It's not like when you read a Tezuka book, you know those characters. They're all in the star system. That's that Tezuka style or Rumiko Takahashi style. You know Inuyasha. You know Ranma. You know those characters because you see them and they have that personality. These characters just seem generic in their design, even though there's, they are so engaging and intriguing. Especially later on when the twist does happen, you can see the differences at that point. But still, the main character is just kind of like, he's noticeable, but he's forgettable. And that's one of the bad things about this, that is, when afterwards you may forget about this, but in the moment, I guarantee you're not going to forget about this. It's going to be making you think about the world and all the different concepts this book brings upon you. Now, as I said, the art style is alright, it's not great, but it is not enough to make this go down, and it's great, I'm going to give it. The art style is very engaging, especially because of the fact that there's also a ghost involved. I didn't mention that, there is a ghost in the house. It might be a real ghost or it might be a figment of someone's imagination, but there is a ghost in the story and the ghost is drawn in a way which it's surreal. It's very similar to, like we said, in No Longer Human, how there are scenes when he was thinking about himself as a doll and that scene just is very impactful. It makes you focus on it's a memorable scene. The images of this ghost, the drawings it leaves, are impactful. They make you think, they make you remember, and it's savorable. Now... The story is very well told. It's short, though. It is only two volumes, so you can get through it very easily. Also, the relationship between Kazuma and Imiru does break the bond of patient-client because, as you know, as I've said, they do become romantically involved. So, since it says it's 16 and up, I would recommend 18 and up for this story. It is very sensual. It's not erotic, but it's you can see that these two who are together are together. You do see sex scenes, you see bare breasts, but it's not in a sexy way. It's almost in a way of, it's making love. Very similar to in, when I reviewed Aori Aoshi, that last chapter of that manga, it's them coming together. It's two people who are in love, just embracing and becoming one. It's beautiful in a very, just not erotic, but it's just a lovely way. This manga makes you think about the various things going on, and I'm going to have to say that out of our five-point rating system, I'm going to have to give this really, really cool. If you don't read this now, your brain will freeze, your eyes will swell up. It's a story which, if you're old enough for and you're mature enough, I guarantee you'll find something to latch onto about this. It's something you should read at least once. Maybe you'll put it down, but it's something I would recommend highly. The one thing is you do have to be mature enough for it. If you're into action, adventure, comedy, this is not the story for you. This is a story that is mature and thought-provoking. It's one of those palate cleansers almost. Get your mind out of the gutter for a moment. It makes you think a little bit.
now usually we're very funny at this podcast and today is a very somber episode it shouldn't be though because this is the 199th episode but it is rather fitting because as i said those other ones all ended in nine this was not planned as you know but it was just interesting that this is one of the nine episodes which is covering one of these interesting topics So, I could go further into this manga, but I think I should leave it as vague as possible so that way not much is spoiled. I would recommend it, though. If you have a chance, find it on eBay or find it on Vertical.com or to con near you. I will probably be giving this away at one of the conventions we're going to where I'm running a panel. I'm thinking Anime Next at Atlantic City, but if I don't give it away there, I may give it away at Otakon or I may give it away if I do the question of the day for this one. We'll see. I'll do it at the end of the episode. So remember, you can check out any of our early episodes at www.spirekin.com. You can email us at spirekin at gmail.com. I'm at zanspirekin.com. We are on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, Snapchat, and all those other lovely programs. We do have a Twitch account, which will be online soon. I think we're going to be starting it with Broforce and have a lot of fun with that. So, with that in mind, and let's lighten the mood a little bit. So let's get to that part. We're all waiting for we're talking about. We're talking about that one. That only the Yes, friends, the Wheel of Manga, except on Sophos 2. Now, what is the Wheel of Manga? The Wheel of Manga is a prize wheel with 10 slots on it. Each slot is assigned to a different manga. So what we're going to do is we're spin this Wheel of Manga when no one lands on That's what we're reviewing in the next episode in our monumentous 200th episode. It's only taken us eight years to get here. And I'm excited, and I'm pretty sure you're excited for this, because eight years doing this podcast, and finally at episode 200. Hopefully, by our 10-year anniversary, we hit 300. That's the plan, and I'm going to do the best I can to make sure that happens, but we'll see. So let us spin and see what we're going to do. We have some great titles and some not-so-great titles, but let's spin and see what we're going to review. Number one. Now, this is interesting. This is fortuitous for us because this is a truly monumentous manga. This is a manga which should be talked about, especially in that 200th episode. And if I can get Timbo involved... That would be amazing because we missed him, but we want him back on the podcast. And he's supposed to have reviewed this, but we put it back on the wheel because we haven't heard from him in a while. But in the next episode of the Spark and Manga Review, episode 200, our anniversary, we're going to be talking about an amazing manga which started as a web manga and then was remade into a better manga and was recently adapted into an anime series which we all know and love about a man who beats up any villain with talking about one punch man either way i guess that's it for this episode of the spark and manga review i'm your host Zan, and i'll catch you next time and sorry for the downer episode we'll get better next time see ya